Hey, what's up all you addicts out there? Welcome to the Addicted Fishing Podcast. And I don't know what episode this is, but I know we're really far behind. Yeah, I thought we stopped numbering them too. Yeah, we did, but we still number them like on the actual title, so our podcast listeners know. But it's they been know a month the episodes. because we are terrible, terrible human beings and we left you guys all hanging out there. Yeah. It, I don't know why we haven't been doing them. It's honestly because our live feeds have been going super, super late, and then we just no, none of us want to stay later and do a podcast. True. And it's hard, too, because for those of you guys that don't know on the YouTube and the Facebook live feeds, like a lot of times we go out fishing, too. So we've done that yep. a couple times yep. the last, last couple weeks. and That's going to happen a lot more right? as, the, as we get more sunny. If you guys are watching on YouTube, please tap that subscribe button. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're on all the other channels, leave us a review. Share this out there. If you got any friends that listen to fishing podcasts, we typically like to put these out once a week, and we're hoping we can get back to that that motion. And we got a guest in tonight. We, we do. got Cam. We do. We've got Mister Nelson Judela, a good buddy of mine who's been been fishing and hunting for a lot of years, but seems to be a pretty decent ocean expert. And now we're going to talk a little bit of ocean coho and ocean salmon fishing. This I week. mean, you're being modest. The because dude I, has you a didn't giant let me give me gold a chance. ring. You didn't let me give me a chance. I mean, this guy. These guys went down for the Northwest and they won the World Offshore Fishing Championship. So maybe he's got a little bit to talk about, but we must bow before him. And so, Nelson, how's it going? Pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm more of a sailfish guy now, but I can still talk a little coho, I think. Now that I've caught, uh, you know, six sailfish in my life uh, and won the and World Champion. Yeah. Uh, you got the ring. I, I have the ring. They can't you, take it away. You have the ring. I can say that I've only caught six now. They still can't take it away. But. It's still pretty insane, though, that you guys went down there and just won it. It was uh, unbelievable. I mean, teams teams in the past from the Northwest have not represented the very best. Like, it's a tough tournament against professional bill fishermen. And so, like, top 25 was good for a Northwest team in the past. So we were like, let's just go down there and have a solid showing and not get embarrassed and try to get... 15th place or 20th place or something so and then you know you got first. yeah we went in with modest expectations and then as the tournament went on we were like could this could this happen could this be happening so uh man it was a lot of fun that's freaking killer so what kind of what how does it all work run it down like a, quickly just just a quick rundown of like how the tournament worked and and all that like species you were catching sure. and all that stuff so it's pr- primarily a billfish tournament so marlin and pacific sailfish um you can get points for dorado or they'd call them dolphin yeah. um uh wahoo and tuna um there was quite a few like maybe 60 dorado caught they're not as many points and then there was i think one tuna t- turned in but it's 200 points for every sailfish you catch 500 points for every marlin um you're on a different boat each day for four days they have a a boat drawing that's fairly random but you get like a a b c and a d boat so they rank the boat so you're not on like the best boat you know you can't draw the best you don't boat. draw four winning awesome boats. boats yeah yeah so you, you you draw an a b a c and a d boat um and then yeah dude how does it feel to be the d boat though? yeah like, well <laughs> i mean some of them are like some of them are, are pretty rough it's like uh we talked to some australians and they were on a boat and the, the guy had like an old school like chart plotter that barely you could barely tell where you were he didn't even have a depth finder you know had very wow. limited, very limited gear but you know for just <laughs> send a, it <laughs> for day-to-day charter um or whatever like he made it in and, and out and you know he's probably not as successful as some of those the big time charters charge quite a bit more than the little charters mm-hmm. and a lot of it is also just boat size and boat speed so the slow boats are are oftentimes 
you know C or D boats and yeah. the big fast you know the big fifty footers that can go thirty five knots or A boats and um, but it was an awesome experience and uh, yeah so you go out there you fish for four days it's a, a lines in at at uh, seven thirty lines out at three thirty uh, they call it out on the radio and you just call your catches in and and record them all on video so hoping here pretty soon I'll have some video to. You get match, all the video back. together. Yeah, we got all the back. So we oh, you, you run your own cameras. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to put some put together. Yeah, because you're not killing them. Video. Who's yeah, putting that together only, for you? Uh, you know, I might do some amateur work, but maybe you guys could help me out. Yeah, with so we know you should let us we help you do, do that. Be a sick. little bit more professional, oh, maybe. So that'd be super that cool. Would be cool. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, already like so you turn that video in at the end of the day, and then they make like a video for the offshore world championships that they show at the awards banquet. Uh-huh. So they have a professional edited version, but it's of everybody. So you have forty five teams. I think there was seven hundred sailfish caught. You know, oh yeah, thirty. There's a ton of available footage, but even like the video we turned in, like all of a sudden, like we're on Marlin Magazine's Instagram, and there's videos of us on there. So they distribute like the good clips. So I haven't really, you know, we haven't got a chance to dig through all of it yet. So I've been waiting to get it from the other guys who had it on the on the GoPro and the point and shoot camera. But I've seen a couple of clips show up like on other people's websites of us, you know, with a double on with this jumping and Marlon, you know, screaming towards us and stuff. So excited to see it all and put it together with some, that's some just us stuff. So we will that's definitely have to put that on fishing addicts. Yeah, yeah we can do absolutely. <laughs> it, it yeah. should it should be some good footage. And I mean we you know, even even we caught, you know, twenty nine billfish, so uh there should be a good selection of uh, footage from two cameras of each yeah, each, each that's fish. Super so, cool. So it should be a lot of stuff on there. So. so how did you guys get the opportunity to even go down there? Uh, we fish in the Oregon Tuna Classic here. Um, that's a, there's an Awaco event. It's called the Deep Canyon Challenge, and then the Oregon Tuna Classic officially is in um, Garibaldi, and the two combined to make the Oregon Tuna Classic uh, Championship Series. So it's a point. It's like a aggregate total a point total between the two tournaments and if you win the championship then you get the invite um to the offshore world championships which is it's an invite only tournament there's 90 different qualifying events around the world so you qualify at one of those events and then you earn the opportunity to go compete if you happen to win um you know lightning strikes whatever happened to us uh if you happen to go down there and win it then you're invited back anytime you want to go back so you don't have to qualify again um, you know, like the team that got second was uh, the 2008 Offshore World Champion, so they could they could return any time with like one or two guys from the from the original from the team. Original? So that's super so cool. so repeat repeat next year. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> just stay away for a while. Just relish it yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go back and you know, there's never been a, a repeat champion. Never been a t- nobody's won it twice. I mean, oh, there's wow. a lot of things that have to align. There's a lot of teams that you know like a lot of fishing tournaments you see a lot of like the usual suspects in the top 10 or Mm -hmm. a lot of brazilian teams in the top 10 um but getting everything to line up to where you know you're on the right boat on the right day and you capitalize on the opportunities um you know some things have to come together for sure so Hmm. but i think eventually i imagine i would like to go back so i'm sure that some of the team would like to go back at some point and and make a return trip there and it moves around too, so it might be that we don't make it back to Costa Rica, and they move it to move it to Brazil or something, and and we go then or something, do something That'd be a little sick. bit different. So we'll see. That is freaking badass. I but. still just can't believe you won when Cameron was posting the updates of like 
they're in first. Like, bring it home. I was like, what the hell? They're in first. That's so awesome. Day one, first right. place, first and held. Yeah, we held it the whole. Uh, we held it the whole time. And I mean, everybody back here was saying that. And people who had been there before, they're like, yeah, well, hopefully you can hang on because it's tough to have put together four days to to stay out ahead or end up ahead. And you know, I mean, I. We were in as much disbelief as anybody was. You yeah. know, after the first day, we're like, "Well, I'm sure tomorrow somebody will smoke us," you know. And then the second day, we tied for top boat too, so we just sort of stretched our lead out on everybody. And then the third day, you know, the teams that were closest to us didn't do very well. And the fourth day, we got a bagel, but uh, the fishing slowed down. There's a big low pressure system that moved in. There was thunder and lightning, and uh, the fish didn't really want to cooperate and you're fishing on the it's a catch and release fishery but you're fishing on the same fish uh, they had all sort of moved north and so everybody was fishing the same pocket of fish and I'm sure that they get caught and recaught but they start to you know they get be a little bit it. less <laughs> be a little bit less bitey so I think the first day that there was uh, 250 fish caught 250 sailfish caught and the last day there was like 97 so each day the catch rates went down a little bit so you know we felt we had a seven fish lead going into the last day and you know over the course of the tournament like an average day was two or three sailfish probably per team per day so you know if we were doing the math we felt okay but when we were out there we couldn't watch the live scoring because we didn't have any cell phone service yeah. so oh, you know yeah. we're like trolling around in a group and everybody around us has a sailfish on and we're like oh we're done we're, we can't hold on to this we couldn't hook a fish <laughs> and uh it was it was pretty nerve-wracking but we uh cruised in for about an hour and then finally could get cell phone service and the captain who was losing his mind was actually the the person that got the official word that we had won so he was super relieved because you know there's a lot of pressure on him he knew we yeah. were in first and and uh, <laughs> oh we all jumped gosh. in and swam when we found out after we found out for sure we went we won we jumped in and took a took a victory swim and it was a lot of fun that's a freaking killer well, when you're not uh, fishing in your off time, what what else do you do? What else? You, so you work at a boat manufacturer here, and in- yep. So I work at Stevens Marine. Um, we're co-owned with Lumweld, so we we sell boats, we sell Lumweld, Kingfisher, Smokercraft, Starcraft, Starweld. Uh, we're a Mercury dealer, so um, you know sell predominantly fishing boats, but also some pontoon boats and deck boats, so other fun boats and and bunch of used boats. So worthless boats, worthless boats, yeah. yeah. You know. Um, but you'd be surprised podcast. how many people come in. They buy like a like a pretty, you know, pleasure type deck boat, you know, and then like, hey, I'm gonna get some, you know, flush mount rod holders here <laughs> and my Lorance over here. So, you know, a lot of that just depends on what the family influence is. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people that come to our shop are looking for a fishing boat. So, um, yeah, that's uh, just starting to get busy. Yeah, uh, that's got- what we were talking about. I mean, during the live feed, we kind of brought. We brought you in just to talk like ocean fishing, because Cam, we got a pretty insane fishing season ahead of us, don't we? Oh yeah, I mean, with the way the spring runs going, and all you guys out there still trying to grind on those springers on those early summer steelhead. I mean, right now that beacon of beacon of hope and beacon of fish and that good time out there catching versus just uh, waiting for that one magic bite from that springer. Uh, it's it's looking like it's going to be that coho season this fall. I mean, and really, when we say this fall. Uh, it starts June twenty second, at least in Marine Area One, Washington. I believe it's the same on the Oregon coast. Don't hold me to that, but I think there's like some different regulations. But either way, for us, it opens up for two salmon, one chinook, um, and it's going to stay that way until the chinook quota is caught. And the coho quota is very robust out in Marine Area One, and that's what we got because right now 
I'm catching a lot of sturgeon, catching a lot of bottom fish, but I'm not <clears throat> catching a lot of salmon. Right. <laughs> I've been seeing a few steelhead getting caught. Yep, mm. there's definitely a few. I mean, I mean, like I said, the guy and there's still spring guys popping springers too. But I mean, let's come on, let's be honest. I mean, going out and catching forty coho is a lot of fun. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. Like you talk about June twenty second. Historically, that would be a time when you know even your trips would probably be somewhere mid Columbia or lower Columbia fishing for summer chinook and steelhead. Mm-hmm. And those fisheries just you know either aren't open or or not looking so hot this year. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on hey that ocean opportunity should be really great. Um, you know that that early summer summer season for chinook retention and i mean the coho will start showing up early this year yeah. and they're always around you know they'll be a little smaller and not schooled up but you should always have some coho action out there um you know that's sort of an un- untapped fishery for a lot of people um you know there's people out there the crowds might show up in late july august september you know there's a lot of people out there in june hammering chinook and you know, sometimes there's a little lull, I think, between the summer Chinook that are staged up off there, off the, or, or, you know, mouth of Columbia, for instance. You know, they get caught right at the opener. There's a really good bite for several weeks while the summer Chinook are around. And a little bit of a lull maybe before those first legitimate fall Chinook start to show up. But, um, man, there's some really nice days out there earlier in the year than most people think about in, in their head for for ocean chinook and ocean coho you start june 22nd right well i mean yeah i mean i'm planning on trying to get out there on the opener i mean obviously weather conditions permitting but yeah there's also some other factors too that just make that a real interesting year obviously the coho forecast is unreal and you know like i said with that sand pile effect we should see some early and generally like on most average years it seems like by the fourth of july uh you know there's some great opportunity for coho out there but with some of the shutdowns of the troll uh, commercial troll fishery for kings that we're seeing up north you know to get some of those southern resident killer whales fed um you know it seems like i mean it it just does seem like that the way that they've structured our fisheries is that they're really kind of having to let up on those fish a little bit before they reach down to those populations but then as they move through and get down to us honestly it, it seems like it's open season because starting june 22nd out in our area and i'm pretty much along the whole washington coast it's it's any chinook i mean you're only allowed one you know, one Chinook out of your two salmon, but I mean, you could even keep a wild one. Right. And they haven't been fished on yet. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, and so, like you said, and with the timing of like, you know, the summer Chinook season's closed in the Columbia, but I mean, for the guys that have been out there fishing summer Chinook in the Columbia, I mean, there is still, you know, there's still summer summer Chinook Chinook out there. Gosh, they're coming through the second week of July, and I don't think they're hanging around like springers. I mean, water temps are up. Right. I mean, so I think they're kind of moving in and moving pretty quick. So there might be some opportunity out there for them. I mean, of course, they're getting mixed up with a bunch of other fish, too. And then, like you said, when the fall fish show up, you know, usually around that second, third week of July, you know, you start getting some lower river stock tooling, you know, 30 feet of water right, right down the coast and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. Right. Well, the, I mean, the nice about the coast is there's always, you know, it's not the best time of year to crab, but you always throw the crab pots out. You can do bottom fish when the bottom tide's right. Bottom fish. July, late <laughs> mid June, those the, the tuna will start showing up hopefully. So there's That's, lots of opportunity. And you know, it's out funny there. you say the tuna. I like you didn't even bring that up in that last podcast and the last in the live feed. We were well, talking I about talked, ocean I talked a little bit about the you know the tuna classic tournament. A little bit about oh, you know, okay That's tuna. Fair. I was tuna saying, come on, man. That's tu- all you try to tuna, do out there. Tuna worthy boats, you know. But uh, you know, I mean. It used to be that tuna fishing was like the closest thing in fishing to a sure thing. Maybe maybe tied with shad right. fishing, right? Like you could go out there and, and count on like a slow day was 20 fish or 15 fish. And it's been interesting, you know, uh, 
yeah you've had to adapt the last few years and there's been a few slower slower days but there's still nothing like the mayhem if you get out there of a good tuna bite when you have the fish all around the boat and even on the down years you still have those days it's just it's not necessarily every day yeah it's not a guaranteed plug in the boat but it's cyclical too you know i mean i expect that um you know it dipped down a little bit and then you know this year or next year i think it will return to that you know a little bit more of a sure thing a lot of that depends on you know water temperatures some fish population what they're feeding on um there's just all those yeah, different see, factors but and like i said i don't want to get too off topic because we want to talk about coho but really like what they're feeding on i think because i mean like you know not hearing about any of the anchovy schools and the bait mm-hmm. stuff kept a lot of the fish down last year and the guys that went out and adapted to that fishing deep you know using their electronics locating schools and right. stuff sound like they had a little better success yeah. i mean it, it wasn't anything like it was you know four and five years ago well a lot of the a lot of the techniques that people use center around like top top water column you know first yeah. top 20 feet and if you if you can't figure out a way to go down and target those fish that are hanging down yeah feeding on squid at you know 50 to 200 feet then you have some really slow days and it is but, crazy to think that that whole thing is cyclical like you're saying too just like the salmon but you would think like oh maybe with a warmer water species those populations would be just out of control and the salmon would be a little weak and then it'd switch but right. it doesn't seem like it's been that way the seems, last couple of years the ocean's just been kind of blah seems to be sort of random but i mean even when the fishing is slow like you can tell that there's still fish in numbers there it's like oh you have a really slow day and then in the afternoon you'll be running in and there'll be tuna everywhere and they're just yeah whatever they've been down at 200 feet and the way that we've been targeting them traditionally tough to catch them and then they come up and they're feeding and maybe you get them for a while but you can tell like oh yeah these these fish were here this morning we just you know couldn't get them to go or whatever so couldn't catch those damn things with this brain the size of a pea yeah exactly <laughs> outsmarted us again so i think we definitely need to be planning a tuna addicted life oh my heavens yes Yes. Yeah. Actually, there's a couple guys that have kingfishers that we definitely yeah. want to step into. Kind of reach out to those guys. Yep. We, got some, we were talking a little bit about that. Got some kingfisher boats. We got some some mercury powered boats. Some you know some of those Stevens Marine things. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's definitely something. You know, it's uh, if you haven't gotten out tuna fishing off the Oregon coast, it's insane. Nothing it's, fights it's harder. It's insane. Nothing fights harder. You know, I've taken people out who have caught. You know had 50 steelhead days you go out there and you have you know 200 fish boiling around the boat and they're like i've never seen anything like this before so um it's pretty you know you can get a pretty good taste of that on a on a video and um it's an adventure when you go out there you're going out 25 to 70 miles dolphins it's a different it's a different ocean so it'd be cool to capture some of that and yeah. uh, share some of that and and maybe I mean, that inspires a few people to go out there and 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 give it a go yeah, I've been twice, and both times it was just so much fun. I thought both times you said you got miserably sick. Oh, I got sick, but it was still, still fun. fun. <laughs> that's still how you know, that's how you know it's really good. The second time I had one of those patches behind my ear, and I didn't get near sick, and I had a blast. Yeah, but your arms are just freaking done by the end of the day. Yeah. Like, yeah, you I, thought, are well, just I thought both things you got out was pretty rough though too. It was not but still flat. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was not flat. Yeah, a little bit of pick your days out there too when you're going that far. Yeah, I went out in like a. 30 foot like trophy mm-hmm. boat you know something like that i think is what lucas's buddy you know yeah well that's crazy those trips are going to start though what probably around fourth of july yeah, mid july fourth of july is typically when people you know start thinking like okay the tuna should be especially up towards you know the mouth of the columbia but you know i mean uh lower southern oregon coast central oregon coast uh, a couple years ago it was like 
same thing mid-june by the 15th of june they were having really good days and then it was like it, it petered out a little bit um, but yeah there are people you know they're boats putting on 200 fish in june a couple couple years ago and then died off a little bit but you just never know but luckily the, the first time we ever went out we're out halibut fishing we like go to oh. his halibut grounds and we're like sitting there like halibut fishing like 800 feet of water and he flips his head around and he goes i think i just saw a tuna jump behind the boat <laughs> he's like i've never seen tuna here and we were in like the water temperature wasn't right so right. he was like super weirded out by it right and then sure shit he looks to his left and they're like jumping everywhere and he's like reel them up reel them up we're going after those fish we're going after them and we like switched gears like that and went over and caught like 20 tuna that's funny it was just insane like that's why the ocean's just so cool right. like that because you just that, that that's one of the you know you get a few boats who are like hey i'm gonna go burn i mean it, it's a it's an investment to go tuna fishing so there's a few boats who are like oh, okay i'm gonna go burn you know six hundred dollars in fuel just to go see if i can find the first tuna <laughs> oh, you know yeah. but a lot of times that's what actually what happens is it's an all-depth halibut day and you're out there in some of the same tuna vicinity and people will either see them right there like on halibut hill or they'll be out there and they'll be like well i'm 20 miles out or well 25 go. miles out might as well poke out another 10 miles and see what's out there uh but, but yeah again, usually, it could be just like 2000 get them on the beach 2006 yeah, yeah where it's like we were out there we were out there we were going tuna fishing that day they were they were close like six miles like out of garibaldi that's what everybody hopes for and always. literally we that's go out amazing we see two tuna jump i'm in 180 feet of water so like i'm not out far right. and two tuna and i see him playing as day i mean beautiful color i mean right 50 yards further about they go pink pink and they jump out of the water and i'm like oh my god throw the hand lines we threw the hand lines we trolled we picked up our troll and we doubled on coho yeah on the squids I swear stuff. to God, fast, fast rolling swear. too. No, we, we were just it. picking up. We oh, threw them okay. out. We threw them out. We started out. We were idling while we were getting them out, and just as I picked up speed, two of them went tight, and they both came up coho, and they were swimming right with the tuna. That's crazy. Yeah, and you'll—I mean, we had to, so we had to throw them back because they were barred, freaking right. two pro. Oh man, they did not. We picked, make it. we picked up. We picked up coho that way before. I mean, coho will bite like up to tuna trolling speed like seven or eight knots like 10 miles an hour coho will still chase your gear down and bite it so that's can't, so, you can't troll that's too fast coho for coho. i would agree with that yeah. especially with some techniques we had to pull last year when the fishing was a little slow i mean that was the cover some was ground. just be speeded up and go yeah and even the like even the ocean chinook like you know the, the commercial trolling boats they troll fast for those too so if you got to get out there and cover some ground to look for some fish you know, don't feel like you have to troll the typical Springer, you know, Springer dogging. One and a half so all these guys hour. and gals that are listening right now that are like, dude, that's it. I'm going tuna fishing. Right. Should they be cruising out there in like their 14 foot smoker crafts? No, like to go for some Send So let's talk about that. Like what's, you know, cause I've always, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I've had, this is my biggest boat I've ever had, you know, 22 foot. Right. And even with that, like I'm still not going to be cruising out in the ocean because i just don't feel comfortable doing it you know i just i'm not comfortable in it could i probably yeah maybe if i followed cam out on a day that it was like nice and you know i probably could right but like you need to know the like i heard you talking in the live feed education is like the best like knowing what to prepare for and know is like number one before you go out there at all right absolutely i mean you want to start to understand you know for whatever port you go out of or whatever you know body of water you're going to leave from um, you know, you want to start to have a, a good understanding of what makes a good day on the ocean and what makes a bad day on the ocean. So for me, um, you know, I fish predominantly out of the Columbia, the mouth of the Columbia, and it's, you know, known as one of the deadliest bars, 
on the planet and um you know you can go on one day and it will feel like a lake and it's hard to imagine that it's one of the deadliest um and then you can go out there on another day and it can look like a lake and 10 minutes later it can look like the deadliest so um you know you want to start learning uh the tides um and the you know swell and wave predictions that make a good day um and and a lot of that usually is it's good to have a mentor or like you said following cameron out or, or or going with or or buddy boating with with somebody who does it all the time so that you can understand you know when is a when's a good day to go and when's a bad day to go because you know tides wind forecast you know on a south wind day you know okay five knots of north wind is pretty nice you know i consider like a five to ten knot of south wind i look at that the same way that i look at you know 10 to 20 knots of north wind um just because it it makes things much less pleasant much quicker when the wind's out of the south so those are hard lessons that if you just go out without somebody to sort of maybe give you some of those tips you can learn you know at, at the very least you can learn some like a little bit uncomfortable lessons and obviously you know every year there's a few boats that go down there and that's a that's a hard lesson you don't want to learn learn it that way so yeah know that know the ocean conditions um go with go with people that have a lot of ocean experience that you trust uh, don't don't be afraid to say no to you know don't get so excited about fishing you know that you that you go out with someone that you have questions about whether that they're safe or you know have knowledge of of that uh, of that body of water or the ocean um you know once you're out there headed out it's a little late to be yeah be like uh i don't think this guy knows what he's doing you know or i don't think this guy's boat seaworthy or whatever well you hear so. that all the time and i'm sure you know right. just from people asking you know just talk what i hear all the time is like the, the reason i brought that up and talking about education is because everyone thinks it's like the size of the boat you have if i have a 50 footer or a 30 footer don't matter like i go out there you know like you hear that a lot like people mm -hmm. think it's like it's all about the size of the boat so i wanted you to just talk a little bit about it's really not right you know you get, you get size of boat, design of boat, reliability of motors, knowledge of the captain. I mean, really, you know, if you have a really skilled and knowledgeable captain, you know, I'd much rather be out with them in an 18 or 19 foot boat than somebody who doesn't know what they're doing in a, you know, 30 foot boat. It's um, the ocean's big enough and powerful enough that it can turn any of those upside down if you if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, my suggestion to people is, you know, get an understanding of, of conditions, uh, learn from some people that have experience, bring somebody with you or go with somebody that has some experience. And, um, you know, so that you can start to understand the limitations of the boat that you buy. But, um, you know, I, I try to have those conversations with people when they come in to buy a boat. Hey, you know, are you, if you're going out on the ocean all the time, that's what you want to do. You know, you should buy a 22 plus foot boat, you know, and the bigger you get, I mean, really, around here, the ocean gets so gnarly that if you, if it's unsafe to be out there in a 24-foot boat, you're not going to want to be out there in a 30-foot boat. It's not going to exactly. be fun to be out there. So, um, you know, you, you gain more space. You gain more fuel capacity. Um, obviously, the farther away you get from shore, if you go tuna fishing or, you know, chase the salmon out 10 miles or you go 20 miles north to go find the salmon, even on the beach, you know, the farther away from home you get, the less time you have to make it back if things start to get rough. So, you know, if you got a small boat, you know, maybe you start by ducking out and staying within, you know, shouting distance of getting back in if you notice the wind kick up or, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that's something you want to always be aware of. It's easy to get out there and you got a hot coho bite and you're, oh, you know, we're one fish away from our limit, you know, and you're out there grinding out that one fish and 
meanwhile that south wind's kicking up and it went from five to 20 mm-hmm. and you know the white caps are starting and you're looking for that one co and you know okay you finally kill that last fish and then you turn to go home and all of a sudden it's like you, you haven't you haven't paid attention to your surroundings and you got yourself a like i said a, at least a really unpleasant ride home but you know hopefully not one where you need coast guard assistance to make it but uh, pay attention pay attention Oh man, and see you know, what's so funny about that? You you talk about that dang south wind out there, and, and this doesn't just necessarily apply for a south wind, but you know, like I said, I've done a lot of stuff on the ocean, ran charter boats, worked on charter boats, ran tutor boats. Like it's, I've spent a lot of time out there, and one cardinal sin rule that I have is, if they say south wind at five knots, don't go north. Right. Don't okay. go north. You don't want to run back against. Don't it go anyway. north. Yeah. Because yeah, you've got to turn on and run back. But what happened? <laughs> I ran north, and it was a south wind, five knots. I'm like, okay. South wind five knots. I, I poked out. It was a little breeze. I'm like, okay, this is five knots, but it was a stiff five knots. Right. Like, and it was enough to chop it up. But, of course, the day before, we were sitting in Long Beach in 25 feet of water, whaling kings. Whaling kings. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go north. I'm like, you know what? I think I can go up there. I think I can bang my fish out. I think I can come back. The addiction is strong. The addiction <laughs> is strong. And it's like, oh, the day before, that spot, blah, 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 blah. I could have easily gone south, whaled on Coho. End it, but you know what? I made the decision to go north. Go north. We drop in. We double on kings. We get them both. Like, oh yeah, here we go. Well, then we miss. Then we break one off. Then we like, you know, don't find anything for a little while. Next thing you know, we've been out there about an hour and a half. We got three in the boat. I need three more, and I could feel that breeze. That breeze picked up just like that. And by the time I said, you know what, we we gotta go. We gotta go. I was about eh, six seven miles north. It took me an hour and a half, maybe more before I poked inside Peacock to get around the bar, which was freaking gnarly. It was every bit that I ever would want to put that boat in. Boat did fine, motors did great, but you know what? I, you know that, That's a lesson I knew, but like you said, you get drawn out, you think, oh, that one more coho, that, I just right. need that one more hatchery right. fish. I didn't trust my instincts, I didn't trust my previous past experience, and I got my hiney slapped for it. And like I said, and I know better. Right. I, and I even told the guys. We got back to the dock. We had to take a little break. We revamped for the room. We just fished the rest of the day out in the river. And I'm like, you guys, I know better. I knew better. And, and, and I feel like everybody has one or two of those days where yep. you're out there, and then all of a sudden you you know you had a great day, and you're like, oh, time to pay the piper on your way. I mean, it right. just can be it a rough, all, rough it, ride in. You know, and that experience also applies to like in the river. You know, oh, like yeah. when you guys talk about buoy ten, you know, I, I you know, you're trying to talk to customers. You know, they're calling. I want to go fish in this fall. It's like, okay, well, you think about buoy ten. Oh, I ain't going to buoy ten. That's the roughest place in the world. I'm never going to buoy ten. I'm like, wait a second. What do you mean? <laughs> right. You're never going to buoy ten. It's the roughest. Place. It's a forty square mile area. Right. Like you can't. You know. Yeah, you went with a guy who decided I'm going to go out and fish buoy 14 on a max on a nine foot ebb tide with an ocean pushing in there, and yeah, it can get as nasty inside there as it can out there. However, up by the bridge, you know, it would have been flat as glass, and so but that person went out had that rough perception like I ain't ever going back there again, and it's like, well, you did it wrong. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, there's a little, there's a learning process to that, and like I said, it just it's not just for the ocean. Right. Well, in a lot of ways, I you know, like I had a, a customer coming the other day that was the same way. Like I, oh, I'm never going to go in the ocean. You know, it's it's scary and it's big, and I appreciate that. I'd much rather have that person than the person right. who's like, I've never how big of a boat I've never yeah, go out the ocean. I've never boated before, and I want to go, you know, go tuna fishing or I want to go halibut fishing. And so, you know, with that guy, I'm like, hey, that is an awesome standpoint to take. But you should buy a boat that's ocean capable because if you think that you're going to start. You know, if you're going to be a salmon enthusiast and you're going to start up here, you know, uh, in the Willamette or or uh, 
lower Columbia, you know, and then you're going to start seeing these pitchers roll in from Bowie 10 and then you're going to be, okay, I'll, you know, I'll try it on a good day at Bowie 10. And then, you know, I mean, it's perfectly, perfectly reasonable to then go like, Hey, you know, now I've been boating for a year. I understand my boat, understand its capabilities. You know, now I'm going to want to poke my head out in the ocean. And I try to tell, you know, like that's going to happen right now. It sounds like that's never going to happen, but you know, by well, and then they close your summer Chinook mm-hmm. seasons and yeah. then they do this and then they dangle that yeah. 900,000 coho run. And buy you're something like, you can grow into, yeah. you know, yeah. cause, cause you're going to, you're going to, you're going to want to do those things as you get more and more comfortable. Um, so if it's within your means, you know, uh, don't pigeonhole yourself just because you're not comfortable yet. But but it's good to be cautious. Grow, grow, and, grow and yourself learn. into it and, and avoid the two foot ice. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, no matter what, you're probably still going to end up with that. But at least then you don't get the you know that, that yeah, desire for the. I had a, a, I had a 14, then I had a 16, then I had a 20, and then I had a 22. And now you want a 20, <laughs> right? Now you got you got reverse two foot. Yeah, I want a 20. Now. Well, that's just because you're bass fishing. I still want Manageable. to be able to fish the Columbia and stuff, but I just want to be more versatile. You've kind I want of, to be you able, drew the line. As I don't want to go to the ocean. If I want to do that, I'll hop in with you. I say you got my boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's I not- mean, it's it's super fun, but I, it's just not something that I'm gonna. I just know I'm not gonna do it as much as I will bass and all these other. No, ones. and that, well, that that percentage of like where you're gonna spend your time is yeah, yeah. that's critical. And if yeah. you're, I mean, if you're prone to not feeling great out there, it's not exactly. You know, it's like, and I think yeah. that's honestly what it is for me. Yeah, I feel like if I could. And I've tried. I mean, I've been out in the ocean since I was a kid. Since yeah. I was 12 years old, I've been going out there fishing, and I just deal with it. I just, yeah. well, all right, I'll just feel sick because we'll I want to catch fish. I, I used to get sick on tournament days especially because, you know, again, I just get finished talking about safety. I mean, we have experienced captains. We have a big boat. But on tournament days, you fish some days that you wouldn't necessarily fish. It was just a pleasure day. Not that it's unsafe, just like I talk about, you know, an unsafe day in a 23-footer yeah. is, is just an unpleasant day in a 40-footer. Well, we fish some of those unpleasant days. And so for a few years there, I had a lot of sick days because you're out there on days where you normally just wouldn't go. But then I uh, refined my system a little bit. And I've had some people that were pretty prone to seasickness. And, you know, like if I just follow the program, you know, like dramming the night before, dramming the morning and, you know, no drinking the night before, you know, all these tips, make sure that you get a good amount of rest, all these things, um, you know, it's surprising, you know, uh, you know, the patch Dude, the patch just knocks me though. And that, yeah. So, you, you know, out. so you could do a patch yeah. or something, but the that, thing, last time I went with Cameron, I took it. I'm right. like, I didn't do a patch. I'm like, I better take some Dramamine. Yeah. I took some and I slept the whole effing time. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, <laughs> I've, been, I've been known to take a nap or two, but you want to definitely get the, you know, the non drowsy version. It still makes you like a little bit groggy, but you Dude, know, those patches I'll, behind I'll your ear over. are by far the best thing I've yeah. ever tried or used or. So there's a lot of things, you know, you know, I mean, I see some people who are like, oh, I, you know, I think I'm going to get seasick. And then, you know, you're in a cabin boat and they're like down in the berth, oh, like yeah, texting yeah. somebody on the way out. I'm like, come <laughs> on, you're come on. Yeah, that's so, the yeah, worst. So get, out, get outside, everywhere, get out in the Everywhere open. from there to, you know, from that level of like, okay, obviously that's a bad idea to, um, you know, what you eat, you know, eating my mild foods, you know, maybe trying to run a little bit cool. Don't overheat yeah. yourself. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, but yeah. It, you can you can sort of adapt to it and, and going a few times I think honestly helps you yeah. the first time I go out like halibut fishing can be sort of rough because you go out there and you just drift around and you also haven't been on the ocean for six months and you're sort of getting your sea leg and get, <laughs> getting your equilibrium down and you're you know wrapping baits and staring at your hands um, so oftentimes that first halibut trip of the year I'm like oh, I don't this is not the best day I felt on the ocean <laughs> in a while but but worth it for what did you halibut. say pickled ginger or something works 
Yeah, ginger's a good that, one. So you were talking about fishing those rough days on the on the right. on the tournaments, and we were stuck in a tournament one time on one of the roughest days I could pretty much ever, eh, maybe ever have yeah, in the ocean. A, and that was a rough day on a forty foot boat, and you were on a twenty seven foot boat. So yeah, we are exactly, and uh, it was almost like to the point where you're too scared to get sick. Uh, but no, I mean the boat the boat handled it fine. Like I was with an experienced captain, it was meticulously safe and experienced. But yeah, a little pickled ginger, man, just. Right, right in your mouth and your tongue. Boom! Snapped out of it. Back in it. We caught our five so fish that weird. qualified and ran like hell. So one I wonder of the why nat- that is. Oh, ginger's just one of the. Na- I eat ginger snaps because they taste way better than pickled ginger. But you know, same reason they serve like ginger ale is popular. I on had the, a on the airplane. I had a lady last year, calming. so I, I carried a jar of that, and I had a lady. The one I didn't. I, I had no. I had no one get sick out of the ocean. I yeah. couldn't believe it last year. But I did have one lady who was like starting Close. to feel. And I tell my clients, I go, if you start to feel sick. It's probably because, like, fishing's slow. So, like, if you're starting to feel sick, I'll pick up the rods and we'll go run somewhere. Because you run, get the air right. blowing on, you get the movement. And you kind of get away from that, just that lull of watching the rods do something, do nothing. Right. Uh, and so, but anyways. All you, have, I, all you have to do is sit there and think about, like, am I getting sick right now? Right. Like, exactly. right now. So, like, if you're into fish and the action, like, you, oh, people, yeah, people don't get sick. And generally, when you go out there for co, it can be pretty good. Well, regardless, yeah, this lady is like, hey, I, mean, she, I, go, I always tell my clients, tell me if you or starting to get sick just tell me right away because i might be in that mode where i'm thinking i'm gonna move anyways i'm gonna go do something else i'm gonna do it. and so i am gonna get sick i grabbed a pickled ginger and i gave it to her and she goes and she she ate some and she goes man when i was pregnant like this was what right. got me off morning sickness yeah. and off the vertigo and she's like and did pickled ginger snapped it i made a little bit of move caught fish she was game on the rest of the day like and she probably landed all the fish you could do your clients <laughs> favor and have i like i prefer the can't like the sugared candy ginger it's much oh tastier. i want the quick hit it's Bam. much tastier than the i did have ginger. the little spicy sugar yeah uh, the sugar ones, yeah, yeah those yeah I, I keep those then they last forever and then i think pickled ginger might make some people puke just because it's i'm thinking ginger. that going well, i'm gonna puke just eating sushi pickled ginger but, no, it but it's not for everybody for sure yeah. but I, yeah, I like. Well, the, I hated I, eating sushi, but it helped me that day. I keep the like the vacuum packed bag of of the candied ginger in there, and it's the same thing, it's just straight ginger with a little bit of sugar on it. And um, yeah, it's one of those things that does a pretty good job. But I think it only does a good job if you're starting <laughs> to get mascot, sick. Dude. But once you like, once someone's like past that yeah. point, no go. Yeah, some yeah. Sometimes you get past. I've been there a couple times and. Uh, the I only st- thing that's going to get you get you made fun is- of that forever. Oh, don't be there, guys. While you guys watching on YouTube, we got a mascot right here. Our little, little bug. Bo- a little box elder beetle or a little uh, <laughs> stink, stink bug. bug. He's been here the whole night. He's been hanging He's out. Biggest fan. We well, let's wish, start. Wish we had a mic for this him. has already gone longer than what we said it was going to, so. Yeah, you know. We but better start. Great conversation. So, like I said, guys, we got, you know, Nelson Jittala here. You know, anytime you guys are looking to purchase a boat, he's super knowledgeable. He'll get you going in the right direction. Um, you know, I purchased my my 25 Columbia from him. I couldn't be happier. And I just purchased a new motor from him. Could not be happier. But like I said, you know this guy spends a lot of time on the water. He's got a world championship <laughs> ring, right? He's got a world... Yeah, do you do you keep that on your desk? I, I, right? I wore it for one week for the for, for everybody who was sort of curious about it, but it's a little little big to wear around. But <laughs> you should be wearing that on your yeah. sales desk. Yeah, like, on the sales check desk. out the ring. <laughs> I, have the, I have like the plaque behind me, you know, oh, to, you for like, a little street cred for the sales. But don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, some people, um, you know, it's a long learning process if you're buying a boat. Some of these boats, 
cost as much. You know, a lot of people come in there like this boat costs more than my first house did. Um, and people will look around and shop and educate themselves for a couple years or three years. So don't ever be concerned about, you know, waste my time or anything. I'm happy to answer any of the questions you have, you know, would this boat be good for that? Or, you know, what should I look for in my first boat? A lot of it is an education piece that I'm, you know, we're all happy to help out with and, and I'm happy to help out with. So. Well, you guys do other work on boats too. Mm-hmm. And that's who I, I mean, I recommend everyone. I just had a guy message me on Friday and he said he's looking to get a Minn Kota and a new GPS and who to go with. And I told him you guys. So that's who I've been telling everyone because you're the only one I know that does really yeah. quality well, work we, around we here. We rig so. our own boats, you know. So obviously when we sell a new boat, we rig it. But yeah, we have a full service shop. We have six bays of service. And, you know, so in rigging the, you know, the hundreds of boats we sell every year, obviously if you bring your own boat in and you want, yeah, depth finder or bow mount or those sort of things added on, um, you know, we do a ton of, you know, aluminum kicker brackets for even if you have a fiberglass boat or any of that stuff. Um, you know, we have guys in the shop have been there, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, um, you know, at a, at a business that's been there 50. So uh, we do a lot of that and uh, don't wait till the last minute. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's but, actually uh, why we like wanted to have this discussion. But we're going to have you in a couple times talk about some tuna and then as these ocean salmon fishing progresses and stuff. But yeah, definitely we got to keep those tuna conversations going for sure. For yeah. sure. Look forward to that video. Videoing that would be a good time. So Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Do not forget if you're on iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. Let us know how you guys are liking these podcasts. And comment. Let us know what you want to hear next. Comment on YouTube. Let us know what podcast you want us to talk about. If there's guests you want us to bring in, we want to hear your guys' feedback. So thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you on the river. See you on the river.